and welcome to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, where we explore God's Word, not simply to learn more about the Bible, but to consider how to apply its wisdom. I'm your host, Svea Mary, and each week I'm joined by talented women from our congregation. We invite you to imagine yourself sitting here with us, enjoying a great discussion as friends about God and how His Word helps us take our next steps to become the women God intends for us to be. Today, I'm so excited to be beginning a new series on the Gospel of Luke. Last year on the podcast, we enjoyed exploring topics in the Psalms, a deep dive into Romans 12, and a full walkthrough of the Book of Ruth. And each series kind of had its own approach to how we engaged with each book of the Bible. And so this series in Luke has a focus of its own as well. As we study Luke this fall, we're going to explore passages which help us to better understand what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Now, if you've been part of our Women's Bible Study Program for a while, you know that there is one lady that we love to have anchor a new series. And so having Jan Wright with me here today to kick off this series is a tradition that I am thrilled to keep. Jan, welcome. Oh, thanks, Fea. I'm delighted to be back. I never imagined that we'd add podcasting to our list of ministry techniques, (laughs) but... It's amazing to see what God has done with this podcast to reach more women inside and outside of our church than we've ever had before, mm-hmm. and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Yeah, praise God, and and I'm thrilled as well. Jan, you've been teaching the Bible for more than 20 years in this church, and you've probably read these stories about Jesus and Luke countless times, so I have to ask you, what is it about this series that you're most excited about? Well, I love the rich examples. They're so vividly described, you can almost see and feel the scenes of Jesus interacting with a wide variety of people, doing the unexpected and showing them what God's love really looks like. But ultimately, I love that we're going to be studying this book through the lens of looking at what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And Svea, you and I recognize and embrace that phrase as the new mission statement of Autumn Ridge Church, Mm -hmm. but it's also the goal of every true Christian. Mm -hmm. We who love Jesus and want to serve him and his people should be seeking every day to be his fully devoted followers. And I love that this podcast series will give pictures from Scripture about what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And today's passage is going to be a fun introduction. Now, you know that I love to begin a series by setting the stage with the details of a book's background and context, Mm. and if I can show a map or two, all the better. (laughs) Yep, that's your reputation. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But today, we're going to jump right into chapter five, as it is a great contextual picture to launch our theme of seeing people who encountered Jesus and became his fully devoted followers. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. Today, we're looking at Luke 5 verses 1 through 28. Now, for you listening, we're not necessarily going to read through every one of the verses, so you may want to pause and grab your Bible and read Luke 5, 1 through 28, especially if they're not stories that are familiar to you, so that you're primed for our discussion. Now, of course, if you're driving while listening or something like that, keep your eyes on the road and you'll be able to keep up with the context, especially if you're familiar with the stories. But uh, but I'd encourage you to grab your Bible so you, you can follow along with where we are. 
So as we get started discussing Luke 5, 1 through 28 today, we see Jesus intervening in a variety of people's lives in unexpected ways that transform them to become fully devoted followers. We're going to look at four short stories of very unlikely candidates, Mm -hmm. Simon Peter, a leper, a paralytic, and Levi. Now, Jan, I have to say, the first story that we're going to look at, which is the story of this miraculous catch of fish that led Simon to devote his life to Jesus, is one that over the past weeks as I've been studying it has really become vividly real and freshly impactful for me. And so would you mind if I just set the stage for that a little bit? Go for it. Yeah. And and the first point that I want to make clear is that Simon has two names, even two names in this story. Um, Simon was his given name, and then Jesus gave him the name Peter. And usually he's called Simon here. Um, It's also he's Simon Peter and other places he's Peter. And I just want to make that clear because you and I are probably going to refer to him as both Simon and Peter. It's the same guy. Uh, But back to the story. Like I said, this story has felt really fresh and real to me as I've been studying it. And some of it's because of the details that were given in this story. It, It happens in the morning, probably not long after sunrise. Jesus is walking along the shore of Gennesaret, which, speaking of things with two names, that's also another name for the Sea of Galilee. And already early in the morning, he's being swarmed by a crowd of people who are wanting to hear what he had to say. He spots two boats on the shore, these boats laying there still wet from being used to fish all night. Because you see, fishermen in those days typically fished at night because fish swim closer to the surface in the cooler darkness, and it's easier to catch them with nets. And the text tells us that these fishermen were nearby their boats, washing all the seaweed and the gunk out of their nets. And we soon find out that not only are they tired after being out all night, they're frustrated and they're discouraged because they hadn't caught a single thing. And given that fishing was how they supported themselves and their families, a bad night like that was more than just disappointing. And so in that context, Jesus gets into the boat that's owned by Simon, and he asks him to row him out from the shore a bit so that he can be heard by the crowd. Um, Since voices carry so much better over water, I've heard like seven times better over water than they do on land. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, So I just want to give a little credit to Simon here, because picture him. I mean, he's tired. He's exhausted after a completely fruitless night. He has nothing to take to market to sell that day. He's just finally getting cleaned up and washed up. And Jesus asks him to get back in this big, heavy boat and row him out so he can teach. And I want to give him credit that he did it. Now, maybe he felt like he owed Jesus a favor since we find out in the previous chapter that Jesus had just healed his wife's mother. Uh, but uh, but that's kind of where this story is is beginning. And then it takes an interesting turn, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But I'm glad you linked that back to chapter four, because I had wondered, Peter's not often very patient. Why, <laughs> you know, what might have been the motivation for him being patient and answering Jesus' request to mm-hmm. row back out? But after Jesus finishes teaching, he tells Peter to put out into the deep water and let down the nets. Now, that was surely an odd request for Peter. I mean, Mm. he's the fisherman and Jesus is a carpenter. Mm -hmm. Peter, by his language, doesn't seem to think this will work, but he obeys anyway. And to his surprise, he pulls in such a massive amount of fish that the nets begin to break and he has to summon additional help to prevent the weight of the catch from sinking the boats. Mm. 
think of it, this wasn't just a fishing victory. It was like winning the fish market lottery. (laughs) And just like that, Peter and his fishing team went from having nothing to sell to having more fish than they could haul in. Yeah, well, but then here after that, here's the twist in the story that I just love. Simon Peter's reaction to the enormous catch of fish is amazing. Instead of acting like someone who just won the lottery, he fell to his knees. He's suddenly aware of his unworthiness before the Lord. I mean, he just blows right past the implication for his financial gain, and he realizes that he's just had an amazing encounter that leaves him forever changed. And after that, Jesus tells him not to be afraid. And he calls him to a whole new profession. He and his friends are now going to be engaged in a, in a new kind of fishing mm-hmm. operation, if you will, a mission to fish for people to be led to Jesus. Um, I just, I love the sense of Peter's feeling of inadequacy in that moment. But despite that, Jesus saw him and he had purposeful and significant work for Simon Peter to do. And having seen the amazing things that Jesus can do, verse 11 says that when Simon Peter and the others, his friends James and John, got to shore, they just left it all sitting there and followed Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Mm. I'm struck by so many things in this passage. I mean, I still go back to the fact that Peter was the expert here. He'd done all the right things. He was Mm. fishing at the right time of night. And Jesus gives him advice that doesn't seem logical, and yet he obeys and Mm -hmm. has astounding results. And I wonder how many times I think I'm the expert, you know, putting forth logical, academic, experiential efforts, and yet my results yield nothing. Hmm. But when we listen to Jesus' guidance through his word, results come, whether in reaching those who don't yet know Christ, restoring relationships, coping with the challenges of life, managing finances, and on and on and on. Mm, I love that you bring that point out because, yeah, I think we do tend to want to rely on our own merits, our own expertise, and, and I'm sure Peter was no different. But part of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus is finding joy in submitting to God's authority over our own. Because left on our own, we we might think we have it all together, (laughs) but we also fail. We may completely come up short after working all night doing all the right things like Simon Peter. But like Simon Peter discovered, there's great joy in obeying Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense, and placing ourselves under his authority. I'm also struck in this example how Peter feels inadequate as a Jesus follower. Mm. And that's not really a weakness, even though it may seem like it at first, but it's rather an asset Mm. because it makes us open to his advice and guidance. And it helps us to see past the limitations of our own experiences and allows us to have real impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that too. I, I think Simon Peter had kind of an identity shift throughout this story Um, You know, I love that question that Pastor Rick sometimes asks us around here when he says, what's the story you tell yourself about yourself? Yeah. And and at the beginning of this encounter, from what we know about Peter's personality displayed throughout all of the Gospels, I'm guessing he probably felt like he had things figured out. You know, he's usually the one who's just trying to keep everything together. But after witnessing what Jesus can do, he's telling himself a different story by the end of this. Now he recognizes that Jesus is the one who can provide everything he needs, and he embraces his own need to devote his life to something and someone greater than himself. 
Well, in the next story, in Luke 5, 12 through 16, we encounter a leper. The term leprosy in the Bible can cover a wide array of diseases, but apparently the physical effects of this man's case had led him to being isolated and socially ostracized. (laughs) And we sure have learned a lot in the last year and a half about feeling socially isolated because of disease, haven't we? But when this leper comes to Jesus, and to be clear, leper, like the disease, not the animal, not a leper. (laughs) When this leper comes to Jesus, I find it interesting that he doesn't really explicitly ask him for physical healing. Which is astounding, don't you think? Yeah, that seems like that would be the first thing I would ask for. But what he actually is asking for is to be made clean again, or in other words, to be restored to the full practice and fellowship with his faith community. Because if if people had a disease like this from the Old Testament law, they were declared unclean and unable to fully participate in faith practices or even be in community with others. Yeah, this example makes me wonder if sometimes we take the gift of fellowship with others and community for granted. Because it's really a gift we should not take lightly. I mean, we've seen how difficult it is to be without access to family and friends, even for a short time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we've had tools and ways of connecting with people that they yeah. couldn't have even dreamt of. They were truly isolated. Well, in verse 12, though, here's what's so intriguing to me. This man doesn't actually ask Jesus for what he wants. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's it's so amazing. It's not really a request. It's kind of it's really a statement. It's it's like he's throwing Jesus some faith filled respect, but he's also letting Jesus off the hook. And I wonder if that's because he's afraid that if he goes on away unhealed, he would just be broken by disappointment. And it makes me wonder how often do I do that with Jesus? How often do I pray, Jesus? I know you can do X Y Z if you will but then hide from him my honest, desperate pleas for help. And, and I, I think I do that sometimes because I, I think I'm being respectful towards God, but maybe I'm afraid of how I might feel if he doesn't answer my prayer in the way that I want him to. Um, and it just seems safer to protect Jesus' reputation in that way. Isn't that funny? I mean, Jesus doesn't need protection from us. Mm. We're desperate in our needs, and we don't have to hide them. Mm. Mm-hmm. But Jesus was gentle with this man. He touched him, he did heal him, and he gave him the exact instructions for the proof that would assure his full restoration to his faith community. And notice this man wasn't called to leave his profession or the wealth of a boatload of fish to be a Jesus follower, but rather to be fully devoted to him in the community and context in which he already lived. He probably told his faith story to whoever would listen for the rest of his life. Mm, I love that you bring that point out because I think that sometimes when we hear stories like the one we just did about Simon and his friends leaving everything behind to follow Jesus, it can almost discourage us and make us feel like that's an unattainable reality. But all of us can embrace the opportunity to tell people in our community about what Jesus has done for us. 
Well, next in the story, we encounter a man who was paralyzed with good friends so desperate to help him that they lowered him through a roof to Mm. escape the crowd that had surrounded Jesus listening to his teaching in a home. Mm. I can only imagine what it must have been like to be in that house (laughs) watching a guy on a stretcher getting lowered down from the roof right in front of Jesus. I I would have just been dying to know what in the world is Jesus going to do about this. Yes, but I'm sure no one there expected Jesus to do what he did. (laughs) Verse 20 says that when he saw the faith of the friends, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Well, this riled up the scribes and the Pharisees who were the religious rulers of the day, and they were there. It angered them that Jesus would do something that only God had the authority to do. Mm -hmm. So Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, demonstrates his ability to do what only God can do by healing the man's paralysis as tangible proof of his authority to forgive sins as well. That's amazing and certainly unexpected for everyone that was watching that. There's so many nuances to this well-known encounter with Jesus from Luke 5, 17 to 26 that we could easily get lost in the details. But keeping to our theme of unexpected intervention by Jesus in a way that transforms people's lives, we can note a key detail. Look at all the responses of the people who were present that day. In verse 26, it says, Amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And we saw similar responses in the previous individuals when Jesus intervened in unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. Peter had that response, and so did the leper. Mm. I wonder, though, are we still awed when Jesus intervenes in unexpected ways that transform lives? Hmm. Or are we sometimes like the scribes and Pharisees who witnessed the most amazing miracle ever and couldn't see it? Mm, That's a powerful question and one worthy of uh, contemplating for a little while on our own, I think. Well, think of the impact of what Jesus did in this Luke story on everyone present. Because if Jesus had simply healed the paralytic, I'm sure they would have been forever amazed at his miraculous powers. But by linking that act of physical healing and using it as an object lesson for what he was ultimately there to do, which was to forgive sins, he made an impact that would leave everyone with a really important decision to make and the same decision that we all have to make. We can either just walk away in amazement at Jesus and what he could possibly be able to do, or we can believe and become his fully devoted follower because of what only he can do. And I think that's a vital point because not everyone receives the physical healing that they request. But Jesus is always going to provide the most important healing when asked, and that's to forgive our sins, to restore us to a relationship with God and walk alongside us as we seek to live as fully devoted followers of Christ. Mm, That's so important. Well, in the last story we're going to take a look at, and, and really we're only going to take a look at the, the two verses in this story, we're going to encounter Levi, who once again, like Simon Peter, is a guy who also has two names. <laughs> Here he's Levi, but in the other Gospels, especially the one known by his name, he's also better known as Matthew. And so Levi, or Matthew, is a tax collector, which was a very lowly regarded profession in the ancient world. The Jews lived under Roman rule, and they suffered under crippling taxes that they were forced to pay to a government that they didn't want. 
And Jews like Levi, who collected the taxes from his community to give to the Romans, were absolutely despised. I mean, they were just viewed as sellouts and traitors. Now, they were often paid quite well, and they enjoyed favors from the Romans, but this only cemented their complete rejection by their Jewish community. And it's fascinating that Jesus recruits Levi, who is an unlikely candidate for a position in his leadership team. Verses 27 and 28 are stunning. They say that Jesus saw Levi sitting in his tax booth, simply said, follow me, and Levi left everything and did. Isn't that amazing? Yes. We we don't know for certain what Levi Matthew may have known about Jesus prior to this, or maybe what things he had seen Jesus do at this point. But what we can say, without a doubt, is that there was something that Levi saw in Jesus at this moment when he was sitting in his tax booth, such that when Jesus said simply, follow me, Matthew instantly did. He got up and, like Simon from our first story, left everything to be fully devoted to following Jesus. Matthew's decision is amazing, and it's also irrevocable. Mm -hmm. I mean, in our first story, Simon... Andrew, James, and John presumably could have returned to their former lives as fishermen. Mm -hmm. But Levi burned every bridge he had by his own choice. Mm -hmm. He was already despised by his fellow Jews, seen as a greedy sellout to the Roman government and a traitor to his people. But by abandoning his post and the financial relationship he had with the Romans, he was effectively dead to them now as well. Yeah, I find that absolutely humbling. And it brings to mind stories that I've heard from our missionaries of people living in heavily Muslim communities that when they come to faith in Christ, they're often completely rejected by society. They may lose relationships with family and friends. They're standing in the community. Sometimes they don't have the ability to buy or sell in the marketplace. They even face threats to their lives. And I I find it amazing in that way to see people who place their devotion to Jesus above everything else that they value in this world. It's just, it's such a powerful testament to how incredible Jesus truly is that people like Levi and the countless more in the 2,000 years since have literally left everything to know and follow Jesus. These are stories of beautiful expressions of the evidence that Jesus truly is worthy of our devotion. And yet there are opportunities all around us to take our next step to be fully devoted followers of Christ. The leper and the paralytic were examples of Jesus' amazing power right where they lived. And we can be too. Mm. Well, we've gotten through these first four stories of this podcast series, seeing the amazing things that Jesus did and why that inspired people to become his fully devoted followers. But as we wrap this up, I I just want to say something that's kind of on my heart right now. And that's, I want to speak to anyone who's been listening to this and thinking, well, that sounds great, but I'm not sure I fully relate to this. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you're not quite here yet in your faith journey. Maybe if you're being honest, you haven't ever felt amazed by Jesus. And, And I just don't want anyone listening to feel badly about that or feel that you have to try to make something up to feel that something you don't. Our prayer for this podcast series is that through our study over the next nine weeks, Maybe you will have your own encounter with Jesus, maybe an encounter that leaves you breathless and amazed and compels you to devote your heart to him. Or maybe you were once amazed by Jesus and you did devote your life to him, 
but that devotion has grown cold and you feel like you're just back to living the way you used to. Maybe you even feel like you've let Jesus down and he's had second thoughts about trusting you with the plans he had and has moved on to someone else. I want to encourage you with this. Like a great book or movie, this significant moment in Peter's life was repeated with great drama. Mm. After his gut-wrenching denial of Jesus and Jesus' resurrection, Peter once again experienced a miraculous catch of fish, Mm. reprising this moment when he dedicated his life to following Jesus and demonstrating Jesus' continued acceptance and pleasure in him. Isn't that amazing that, that Jesus would do this again for Peter in his life? And something I'm sure he never forgot. He instantly got it whenever it it was a repeat. I think that's so beautiful. There's hope for all of us, even if we feel that we've let Jesus down as his follower. He beckons us back and wants us to keep following him and to keep being amazed by him. Mm. I invite you just to pray with me as we close. Dear Father, we want to be amazed by Jesus. We want to to learn of him, to encounter him. And I pray that over these next nine weeks in this study, that you would give us an opportunity to meet Jesus in a deeper way, that uh, whether we're meeting him for the first time or walking with him as we have for decades, I pray that you would open our eyes to the work that Jesus is doing around us and that that would inspire us to be fully devoted to him. We love you, Lord, and we are excited to see what you will do as we study more about you. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, a production of Autumn Ridge Church. We appreciate the technical assistance provided by Josiah Novinger, Ian Benoit, Robert Nash, and others from our wonderful staff. We'd love to hear your comments or questions on this or any other episode, and you could reach us at women at autumnridgechurch.org.